My family spent 20 years on the run, fleeing from threats I still struggle to fully comprehend. There's people out there that want to do us harm. We got a phone call saying that your father's thugs were coming to break my legs. Run, Hide, Repeat, the unbelievable true story of a fugitive family and the unimaginable truth of what we were running from. Available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Tamara Kandacker. Do you like the feeling of power you have as a newspaper proprietor of being able to sort of formulate policies for a large number of newspapers in every state of Australia? Well, there's only one honest answer to that, of course, and that's yes. Uh, of course, one enjoys the feeling of power. This is Rupert Murdoch being interviewed by the Australian public broadcaster in 1967. In the decades since, he's built one of the world's most influential media empires, his reach spanning from Australia to the UK to the US, with papers like the Times of London and The Sun, The Wall Street Journal and The New York Post, and on TV, Sky News Australia, and of course, Fox News all making him one of the most powerful people on earth. For decades, his companies have shifted elections and shaped national political conversations, a power Murdoch understood early on. The newspaper can uh, create great controversies, stir up uh, uh, arguments within the community, discussion, uh, can throw light on injustices, uh, just as it can do the opposite, it can hide things uh, and be a great power for evil. Now, at 92 years old, he's stepping aside as chair of Fox Corporation and News Corp, leaving his son Lachlan in control of both. For more on what drove Rupert Murdoch's long career, I'm joined by David Fulkenflick. He's a media correspondent for NPR News. Hi, David. Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, pleasure. So I want to start at the very beginning of Rupert Murdoch's media empire when he's just 21 years old and he's studying at Oxford in England. He gets control of his first newspaper. So tell me about that. How, how does that happen? Well, he's, he's a student. He's been a bit of a rabble rouser, a bit of a leftist of all things, mm-hmm. uh, and been learning a bit about newspapering. Uh, his father had been concerned about whether or not he'd be uh, up to it is a career, as a calling, a profession. And his father dies. And he gets a single newspaper in a good-sized city, but sort of a bit of a backwater of Adelaide on the southern coast of Australia. And so Murdoch walks in feeling that his father has been screwed over. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's of the belief that his father's been cheated of being able to have an ownership stake in an, several other newspapers in more prominent Australian cities. Mm-hmm. And this is really a, a notion that is a theme for him throughout the rest of his life. The idea that there are elites against him. Now, again, this is a guy who went to Oxford. Right. His father was knighted for service to the Commonwealth. Uh, his father was one of the most prominent political journalists in Australia. And Murdoch, you know, took this newspaper and had a sense of, I'm going to make it interesting. I'm going to make it lively. I'm going to be deeply invested in its workings and surprised everyone. He was a good newspaper man. Mm. He was smart about it. 
He made it uh, appeal to more working class sensibilities. He made it livelier and crisper and a little more salacious. He made money and started to expand. Well, my role has certainly been in building this company, has been to create competition everywhere. We tended to take the sick newspapers, the ones that weren't worth much, the people felt were about to fold up. And by energy and, and drive and getting people around us who were good, uh, we managed in most cases uh, to turn the corner. And this is how we've built a, a fairly large company. So, so from the very beginning, he believes that the elites are against him and, and he's taking on the world and he's driven by that idea. He starts buying up newspapers across Australia and then he eventually makes his way over into Europe, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he used the money that he made then to jump over back to Britain where uh, some of his father's mentors and peers had been these press barons on Fleet Street. Uh, and he acquires the news of the world, which was a fading tabloid uh, that had been working class. It's in London that Rupert Murdoch's power is having most impact. His group now holds 43% interest in the news of the world, the British Sunday newspaper with the biggest circulation. He made a bunch of promises uh, to the ownership, and he took it in the direction he wanted. The newspaper is editorially brighter, but still contains a strong emphasis on sex and titillation which was much more scandal-driven, much more antagonistic towards elites, uh, you know, sort of right-of-center populist. And he did mm -hmm. the same thing with The Sun, which had been a leftist populist tabloid, and he took it uh, more conservative over time and a much rougher approach. I'm not ashamed of any of my newspapers at all. And I'm rather sick of snobs who tell us that they're bad papers, snobs who... Um, only read papers that no one else wants. I doubt if they read many papers at all. And whereas on most issues they consider themselves liberals or radicals or something, uh, they, they think they ought to be imposing their taste on everybody else in the community. Uh, and it was very successful. These became sort of these dual economic engines driving his fortunes in the UK and then allowing him to propel back across an ocean once more to the United States and start picking up properties there. Mm -hmm. And this ultra aggressive approach that you mentioned where he kind of tells these owners what what he thinks they need to hear to greenlight the deal. That's also how he snaps up some and starts some of the, the American properties that a lot of us are are familiar with. Yeah, this was a pattern for him. There are two things that that probably listeners should know. He had sort of this high low strategy where he wanted these populist properties that would make him money and give him mass appeal. But he also wanted certain kinds of elite outlets like the Australian. He bought the Times of London uh, and the Sunday Times in the early 1980s uh, to be able to reach elites and have a place at the table with the, the bankers, the financiers, the lawyers, the lawmakers, people who really made British society's rules and then operated it. He wanted the same in the United States. He ultimately gets uh, the, the Wall Street Journal in 2007. And, and yes, you're totally right. By telling owners what they needed to hear, often owners in financial distress or weren't, who weren't confident that they could continue to operate these properties in ways that wouldn't drain their own fortunes, he told them what they needed to hear. He hear it again and again with the news of the world, with the New York Post, which had been a liberal uh, outfit. Dorothy Schiff sold it, convinced that Rupert Murdoch would maintain Basically, the philosophical outlook that it animated it during her proprietorship, totally not the case. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Times of London, the Wall Street Journal similarly made promises, broke promises, didn't matter. 
he was offering real money to acquire these things. And he felt once he had them, they were his. You talked a bit about the way that he goes about buying up these properties and the way that he makes them more provocative and scandalous. But is there ideology that's driving him or a personal philosophy in the way that he overhauls the content of of these papers and all the outlets that he buys up? You know, it's interesting. He was early on perhaps more socially progressive. Uh, For example, the Australian, uh, which is now seen as a pretty reactionary uh, newspaper capable of very good journalism, uh, nonetheless started out doing a lot of enterprising reporting about the fates of uh, and, and the circumstances of aboriginals in Australian society and really highlighting some of the terrible um, injustices uh, being rendered to them by the Australian uh, nation and its people. You also expect your papers to express an opinion, though, do you? I mean, The papers themselves, and of course in the feature pages, we encourage it. Uh, the Australian particularly is an open paper. Although it itself has had very radical opinions in which I've played a large part, uh, we, well, I think the first. Uh, similarly, you know, there were times at which his newspapers uh, did some crusading reporting and, and journalism that I think would be held from all sectors. But I think Murdoch fundamentally uh, is quite conservative. Uh, and yet, I think he's a very pragmatic entrepreneur. So he wielded his newspapers in such a way that I think it served the politicians and policies ultimately that he wanted, but he also wanted to be uh, allied with popular politicians and policies as a way of gaining influence to benefit his businesses. It was kind of a circular reinforcing logic. Hmm. But yes, if you read The Sun, if you read the news, The World, if you read The New York Post, if you watched Fox News, and we can talk more about Fox in a moment, you know, There were these consistent themes, fears of the others, that is, of immigrants coming in to take away jobs, to change the nature of British or American or Australian society. Uh, There would be concerns about uh, whether there was a racial backlash against whites, concerns about the changing roles of uh, men and women in American society. Was this somehow emasculating or or, uh, feminizing, uh, you know, American or British society? Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned Fox News. A lot of the stuff is pre-Fox News. So how does that come about and, and what does he want to do with with this network? Well, you know, Murdoch had already in the United States uh, in the late 80s kicked off a fourth television network, which government regulators and other uh, television professionals said basically couldn't be done, that it just wasn't going to be viable. And he succeeds there. Well, we can firmly announce uh, the starting of a Fox News channel. It was a rather rash idea. I said, let's try it. And uh, everybody said, no, there's CNN has been there for years. There's no room for more than one news channel. And uh, we tried it and we, we put you know, a different viewpoint, if you like. I, I was so- and he has for a long time wanted to enter uh, television news in a serious major way. And his argument Uh, embraced by his partner, uh, Roger Ailes, who becomes the CEO and then chairman of Fox News, is that there is a significant swath of the American public, as he felt in Britain and Australia, that weren't being served by the likes of the New York Times, uh, the Washington Post, Mm -hmm. NPR, or the BBC, and that their sensibilities were being, uh, you know, dismissed, ignored, or uh, mocked. 
uh, and that this would be a place where just by the nature of the stories chosen, even if the journalism is just as rigorous, uh, that it will provide a different outlook and sensibility. It's really given comfort and voice to the, you know, the big uh, conservative, the normal American conservative, working class people, particularly people in the countryside. They love it. And, you know, that's a pretty appealing pitch. Mm -hmm. You know, in America, we think, uh, as largely I understand people do in Canada, you know, let let a thousand flowers bloom. You know, there should be a multiplicity of voices speaking. And that sounds appealing. And that is kind of how they started. They took the news less seriously. Um, They promoted, you know, a lot of it was views casting rather than news casting Mm -hmm. because they were heavily emphasizing the opinion side of the ledger. Uh, And there was one other element, which is that tabloid blood really flowed through the veins of Fox News. Uh, And so it was kind of combative. Uh, It liked a good fracas and fight. So as Murdoch acquires more and more properties, his political influence grows and and politicians start to see him as kind of a kingmaker because of his willingness to help them. And, and his outlets often explicitly back politicians in elections, work in tandem with them to attack the competition. Um, talk about some of the people who have courted him for, for his support. Well, in the United States, uh, people have been courting Murdoch for decades. Uh, Rudy Giuliani, uh, who has been banned from the uh, airwaves at Fox News. Nonetheless, back in the day, uh, when he was running for mayor of New York in 89 and later in 1993, he was seeking uh, the support of the New York Post. Fox News changed the equation greatly because it, it, it ended up becoming, in short order, particularly after 9-11, one of the places that served as a clearinghouse for the Republican Party. What happened is that candidates would essentially audition for endorsements from other uh, public officials, but also for support from major donors and contributors by appearing on Fox News. And Roger Ailes and Rupert Murdoch could determine who would get airtime to audition and how much they'd get uh, by dint of who they allowed on their shows. Mm -hmm, So he's a guy that people really want to see. And it's not just in this country. Tony Blair, when he wanted to run for prime minister in the United Kingdom, He flew 10,000 miles to an island off the coast of Australia to address the corporate board of News Corp for Murdoch as a way of showing uh, his uh, willingness to work with him, something the Labour Party had not done previously. You had extracted really as much as you could from Mr. Blair in terms of policy promises. He'd gone a considerable distance in your direction. You, You assessed he'd gone as far as he was ever going to go, so you endorsed him. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. David Cameron uh, flew on Murdoch's then son-in-law's private jet when he wanted to run against the Labour Party uh, on the conservative side to meet with Murdoch on a yacht off a Greek island. Mr Cameron might have thought stopping in Santorini would impress me. Um... I don't really remember the meeting, but uh... Australian candidates and prime ministers come to Murdoch's corporate headquarters in New York, again, traveling thousands of miles 
Murdoch's aides call it kissing the ring, an act of essentially bending a knee to the power of this global media magnate. I think that's part of the democratic process. They, all politicians of all sides, like to have their views known by the editors of newspapers or publishers, um, hoping that they will be uh, put across, hoping that they will be, that, that they will succeed in impressing people. That's the game. You mentioned uh, Tony Blair and David Cameron. There was also Margaret Thatcher that had a relationship with um, Rupert Murdoch. And and he is and his empire also benefited from these relationships that he formed with with politicians. Right. Like there was the story of Wapping, for example, which I was hoping you could briefly recap for us. Sure. In the 1980s, there were these strong uh, regulatory and other barriers to Murdoch taking over the Times of London and the Sunday Times. People were askance about him as a guy who'd come from Australia. He was a tabloid owner. Uh, People very worried about these, you know, historic titles going to Murdoch. And although it was denied for decades, it turns out that uh, that Prime Minister Thatcher and one of her top aides met with Murdoch to kind of hammer out details of how he could take them over with a pledge that he'd be supporting her. Mm-hmm. That is, it was a political deal. And later on, uh, you know, he, he basically broke these unions uh, that operated the press shops uh, on what's called Fleet Street, what was then the sort of main center for the newspapers in London. And you know, Margaret Thatcher was essentially his partner in that all, all the way through. Similarly, in this country, if you look during the Trump years, uh, Murdoch did throw his support to Trump. And when Trump surprising, you know, not just Trump, but Murdoch and everybody else won, uh, Murdoch suddenly had an entree in the White House like the ones he had enjoyed in 10 Downing Street, uh, but never really experienced here in the United States. It's my distinct honor to introduce the commander in chief and the president of the United States, my friend Donald J. Trump. Yeah, And so you can see ways in which Murdoch is able to leverage his political alliances into business benefit. On Mother's Day 1985, Philadelphia did something unthinkable. The city had been engaged in a standoff with a radical organization called MOVE. The helicopter takes off, then... The city dropped a bomb on Move's headquarters, killing 11 people, five of them children. My daughters were taken away by this corrupt government! Why is it so many have never heard of the Move bombing? Black people will never get justice in America. The Africas vs. America, available now everywhere you get your podcasts. Beyond um, the way that he was able to leverage these relationships for his own empire, what did he do with this tremendous amount of power and and political influence? Like beyond backing certain politicians, what are some notable policies the Murdoch empire had an influence on around the world? Well, I think it's uh, you know ironic that Murdoch himself, an immigrant to the United States, uh, became a naturalized citizen so that he could uh, own television properties here, for example. Um, has pushed out some of the strongest anti-immigrant rhetoric in, you know, the major media outlets uh, that we've seen in this country, uh, in uh, frequently in the New York Post, uh, frequently in Fox News and on the editorial pages of the Wall Street Journal. Although, to be fair, those pages were quite conservative before he ever arrived. Uh, similarly, 
you know, you've seen the New York Post and Fox News and Wall Street Journal and the Weekly Standard, which uh, a magazine now defunct that he used to own, really pushed hard for the idea that America would lead an invasion of Iraq in 2003 as a demonstration of might and as a warning against others in the world that would intend to threaten us. And he deployed his outlets in Australia and the United Kingdom as well to pressure the conservative prime minister in Australia, uh, John Howard, and the center-left prime minister in the United Kingdom of the Labour Party, Tony Blair, to support Bush in this. Have you shaped that agenda at all in terms of perceptions of the war, in terms of how the war is viewed? No, I didn't think so. I mean, we've tried. (laughs) (laughs) Tried in what way? (laughs) Well, we basically supported uh, our papers and our television. I would say supported uh, the Bush policy in the Middle East. You know, Murdoch, Murdoch, can't dictate who becomes president or prime minister. Murdoch can't uh, determine on his own what will happen. And I think his influence is at times overstated, but he provides ballast and support and oxygen and energy, and he allows people the opportunity to make the case for things that, you know, straight journalism might otherwise tend to undermine. Right. But there are a number of times when he runs into trouble with the provocative tabloid style approach of some of his outlets. There are a bunch of scandals that happen throughout his tenure. And briefly, which are the ones that stick out to you before 2020, which we'll talk about in a second? Look, there are things that are scandalous in their own right, like how his outlets treat uh, climate change, which I think is really one of the signal issues of our time and one of the most signal challenges to journalism of our era. But if you think about the nature of Murdoch's outfits, you know, it it takes on the nature of the guy himself. Uh, He likes to punch hard. uh, And it means that he wants to go for a good story and he's got a good nose for that. But, you know, if you look at uh, what happened when there was a deadly stadium collapse and stampede uh, outside Liverpool in 1989, they based uh, coverage on anonymous police sources to say that this was basically the fault of British soccer fans and who are hooligans who are trampling each other and being violent towards each other. And, and it turned out that most of the blame accrued to very poor crowd management and disaster response by police themselves. Mm-hmm. And Murdoch's uh, tabloid, The Sun, published this uh, essentially uh, slander of the fans who were at this site. Ninety seven people ultimately died uh, from the event. And they published it under the headline, these, these, these slanders under the headline, The Truth. And uh, it stood for years and you had boycotts for decades in Liverpool of the Sun as a result mm. by many people there. And it took years for the Murdochs to apologize for it. Similarly, I'd say the phone hacking scandal is, is just one that shocks the, the conscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turned out that the people working on behalf of Murdoch's tabloids had hacked into hundreds of people's cell phones, cell phone messages, emails, and the like. It turned out they were doing this towards British veterans who'd been killed in the wars, uh, towards crime victims. It turned out one was a a 13-year-old girl who had been abducted and killed. Wow. And once that became revealed publicly, thanks to The Guardian, people realized that if the tabloids could do that to her, they would do it to anyone. And then if you get, uh, you know, as Fox News progressed, it became increasingly extreme. There were the ways in which they played host to and amplified 
uh, racist lies about Barack Obama claiming he hadn't been born in this country and making him seem as alien and, and as uh, sinister a figure as possible based on false claims. There's also the, the, ma- the major scandal at Fox News when Roger Ailes, the chairman, and, and later Bill O'Reilly were accused of sexual harassment. Yeah, and this is a fascinating moment. Uh, it turned out that Ailes had engineered Fox, which was not only offering uh, a very, uh, you know, a throwback image of what America should be, a very conventional notion of, well, men should be the strong ones, women should be supporting them and always attractive, and presenting you know, women on the air in not only choosing them by their looks, but presenting them in very form-fitting outfits. Uh, I, I revealed that there was this thing called the leg cam mm-hmm. that operated, where in this show called The Five, which was a panel discussion group of five people, they always they picked the woman who they felt was the most physically appealing. This was their judgment and their words for it. And they would put her on the far left side of the set And the camera would swoop in at the, you know, after ad breaks and the beginning of the show and sort of linger and go the full contour of her legs Mm -hmm. so that they could show it off. And it was just one of many uh, evocations of the fact that Roger Ailes wanted this to be uh, attractive and appealing to basically people like him, older men. But it turned out he'd been casting these roles with women that he very frequently pressured to have sex with him. Mm -hmm. And so he turned this into an almost... uh, you know, assembly line factory of sexual harassment. Dozens of women that came forward. I should say that Ailes, who died in 2017, the year after being fired, denied all of these claims. But so many women came forward. Uh, Gretchen Carlson, who had been one of his star hosts, uh, taped him on her iPhone, making uh, essentially demands of her. In Carlson's complaint, she says Ailes then began sexually harassing her, making comments in one-on-one meetings like, I think you and I should have had a sexual relationship a long time ago, adding that sometimes problems are easier to solve that way. Uh, She was paid $20 million by Fox, uh, and Fox had to come to terms with the fact that women came forward not just with allegations against Roger Ailes, but other stars, including Bill O'Reilly, at that time their top primetime star, uh, and other figures inside the network. So people might not remember this because Fox News has become so synonymous with with Trump, but Murdoch and Fox News didn't immediately embrace him. Uh, Murdoch actually didn't take him seriously at first. He he did eventually when it became clear how popular Trump was and how it could be a mutually beneficial relationship. And that's when you see Fox News change their primetime lineup and make it more pro-Trump. Uh, Sean Hannity's speaking at a Trump rally. When does that backfire for Fox News? Uh, The first uh, primary debate in 2015 was in August of that year for the Republican Party. It was run by Fox and Trump didn't like the questions being asked of him of of one of their then hosts, uh, Megyn Kelly. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account. Only Rosie O'Donnell. And so he goes after her. He made it about him and Fox. 
he made Fox the target of his anger. And then Fox spent months trying to make it up to him uh, because they realized that their audience was behind him. Mm -hmm. They end up being very supportive and letting, you know, essentially turning over vast swaths of time to him speaking, to his speeches, to people essentially championing his candidacy. It really was them catching up to their audience. And I think you saw that throughout the Trump presidency was there were times where it would be perceived that he had gone too far. And yet each time the audience made clear to Fox that they were on Trump's side. And so Fox had to kind of whisk right back into support and snap back into action. I think that was most acute, of course, uh, after the 2020 uh, elections itself, uh, leading up to the uh, January 6th uh, insurrection. Mm -hmm. Fox News played a central role in the controversy following the election and Donald Trump's unproven claims that the election was rigged. This wound up as a very expensive lawsuit between Dominion, which made voting machines, and Fox. So tell me about that. So on election night, Fox is the first television network to call the key swing state of Arizona for Joe Biden. The Fox News decision desk is calling Arizona for Joe Biden. And while that holds no official consequence, uh, it signaled that according to the people at Fox, that it was going to be almost impossible for Trump to run the table and to win re-election in 2020. Well, Trump attacked Fox. Trump tried to get Fox to retreat from it. Murdoch, to his credit, said, you know, we're not going to back down just because somebody's ordering us to. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in the days and weeks after, you have Fox hosts bending over backwards, twisting themselves like pretzels to try to accommodate a world in which fraud has occurred on a mass level involving multiple states and jurisdictions and, you know, officials from both parties to try to cheat Donald Trump of the race. And Fox ends up giving an extraordinary amount of airtime to this claim that Dominion Voting Systems, a voting machine and election tech company, is involved in intentionally trying to defraud and cheat Donald Trump of the election. Again, completely baseless claim. But you saw, you know, four of their hosts, as, as Rupert Murdoch himself later acknowledged under oath, not only gave people the chance to offer these thoughts, but embraced them uh, to varying degrees. And that includes Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, uh, Janine Peru, and uh, Maria Bartiromo. But others did as well. You know, earlier this year, the Murdoch signed off on paying uh, just shy of $800 million uh, to Dominion to settle its defamation case. So, you know, these things have consequences. Okay, so as Rupert Murdoch has gotten older, he's he's 92 now, and he's gone through various health scares, like falling and severely injuring himself on his uh, his son's yacht. The question of who would replace him has been the subject of endless fascination. Obviously, this race inspired the HBO show Succession, which is about a media mogul and his kids battling over control of the family empire. What do we know about how the real Murdoch raised his kids in preparation for potentially taking over his empire? Murdoch wanted to be succeeded by one of his sons. He has four daughters, but, you know, like his father, he looks to the son to be a successor. He really pitted his boys against each other. Uh, Lachlan and James, he initially wanted Lachlan when Lachlan 
in the early 2000s felt that uh, Rupert wasn't preventing some of his top lieutenants from sabotaging him. He went back to Australia. James Murdoch uh, came to the fore, actually was seen as a pretty good executive, but got caught up in the uh, in the hacking scandal. He had signed off on a payment, mm-hmm. uh, so he had some knowledge of it, Or although he said he didn't really understand the details in the moment. And, and then Lachlan ultimately was prevailed to come back, but he pitted them against each other, I think, rather than simply preparing them. He really is kind of a throw them in the water and see if they can swim kind of guy. Uh, Lachlan, he's clearly trying to set up as his successor, as the inheritor of the the legacy, but also of the the corporate reign. So he's stepping back now in his 92nd year and saying, you know, Lachlan's going to be running the show, but I'll still be around, Mm -hmm. which isn't really that different from where we are right now anyway. Uh, But it presupposes that once he dies or is incapacitated, that Lachlan will be allowed to just sort of continue doing it. It's not at all clear that the other three Murdoch children who will inherit the control of the Murdoch family trust once Rupert Murdoch himself is no longer around to operate it, that they will support him. You know, Lachlan has this as long as his dad's around and doesn't change his mind. Mm -hmm. He has set Lachlan up, but he's also created this competitive and distrustful atmosphere, which means that Lachlan doesn't have the automatic or even much more than modest support of his siblings or the people he needs to rely on if he wants to continue. Yeah, so so this is not a lock and there could still be plenty of, of drama ahead. Okay, thank you so much, David. I really appreciate it. You bet. All right, that's all for today. I'm Tamara Kendacker. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you tomorrow. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.